How's it going? Good. How you doing? I'm doing well. Nice. Happy 31st of March. Yes, it is almost April. It is. We have one day to complete our goals. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I've completely <laughs> forgot about the goals. I've been a little preoccupied, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't totally forgot. Uh, there's There have been some that have been given up on and others that have made some progress, but I guess next episode we will do that. Yeah. I have a, I think I have a bod pod scheduled uh, next week sometime, so. Perfect. We should record uh, right after. Yeah. I think that might work out. Cool. cool. Oh, so how's life? Oh, life is good, you know, doing lots of calls, <laughs> as I kind of alluded to last time. I'm now 27 calls in. Uh, so, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So getting a lot of good insights, I think, and and some takeaways are starting to form their shape. And I'm starting to hear some patterns over and over again, which is encouraging. Sort of what I was hoping would happen, you know, is, is for people to be repeating the same sentiments in their own in their own way um, over and over again. So, so I have a few of those to share. Yeah, I'm curious. So let's start with like some of the top problems that people have been ex- expressing about chat. I have like four of them. There's been probably five to 10 of them, but these are the ones that seem to keep coming up over and over again. The number one is the false sense of urgency that comes with chat, which is not surprising. That's sort of one of the core pieces of the manifesto. But this one sort of would come out often when I would try to tease out like, what is the what is your biggest problem with chat? Not just like, you know, what are all the issues you have? Because most people mention distractions and, and signal to noise ratio problems and those things. But a lot of folks have all said, Basically, in in not so many words, like every message I send carries a false sense of urgency. I want to be able to send messages to my colleagues that are like, this is okay to respond to it later, but there's no way to do that well in chat. So I think this one's, you know, very much in line with with sort of the already the way I was thinking about how level would be structured, where, you know, things would kind of go into an inbox and not always push through notifications unless you specify things as an emergency. This has been good validation of that kind of paradigm. Um, people are really, really wanting something like that. Totally. I think queues are useful architectural concepts. Being able to push things onto a queue and then have the, the consumer take it off at their own pace and disconnect those two things, I think is actually really valuable. And a chat is more like a, not like a queue. It's like a interrupt. Yep. I heard it described as like a conveyor belt, which I think is kind of a, f- a good way to describe it. Like chat is a conveyor belt. And if you're not there to pick things up off the conveyor belt as it's streaming along, then they're either going to fall on the floor or you're just going to miss them or whatever. So, um, yeah, totally. That'd be a good image for your landing page. I agree. Yeah. It's like yeah. someone typing away with their headphones on and behind them, a conveyor belt has like important messages sliding yes, by. I like off it. Into the ether. <laughs> I really like that actually. Yeah. So that's number one, I think. Number two is a lack of decent threading. So one of my specific questions I've been asking people is like, uh, do you use Slack threads at all? Because Slack, you know, added those in where you can kind of reply directly to a message. And most, a majority of people said it's like not very useful, hard to enforce, hard to like convince people that they should be doing that. And it's often even hard to know when is it appropriate to spin off a thread onto one and when, when is it best to just keep it in the channel. I think the number one problem with with Slack threads and as a whole is like you end up with split conversations often where so, as soon as one person responds to what should have been in the thread and they respond to it in the main channel, now you need the whole global context to actually review what was said in that conversation. 
totally. So, yep. And it's just, it's not the default. Nope, it's, it's not. Like, it's not what's wired up for you. It doesn't, there's nothing that pushes you in that direction. It exactly. Feels like. Yep. Third one was, there's no mechanism for tracking the state of a conversation. So, you know, there's many conversations that happen throughout the day in any given company, you know, and a large portion of them these days happens in chat. So a, a discussion's happening and maybe someone, if they were online at the time, would have been contributing to the discussion, but they were not. So they're, you know, maybe six hours late to the discussion. It's a major problem having to always review everything because you don't know if there's been resolution or not. Often there's micro decisions that occur where a small back and forth happens and then it's like, yep, we agree. And really no one else in this group, say it's like a development channel, so all the developers are in there. You know, the other developers don't really need to worry too much about following up with the conversation because if if it was already marked as resolved or complete, then they can sort of just maybe review it or look at it, but they don't need to like give it too much thought and that should be lower priority. This is sort of like one of the inspirations I've taken from a system like GitHub Issues where you kind of have like an open closed state and that's just another another way of just keeping track of metadata around a conversation. That metadata thing is really interesting to me. And the the open closed or like awaiting additional input, like having some sort of interesting some type of conversation states, I think could be really interesting. One thing that I've seen like when I was working at Thoughtbot there were a handful of people that were really good at like coming back to a thing and being like, so it seems like the decision here is this, or the current consensus is this. Can we agree that that is the consensus and, you know, close this or try the next thing or move it to the next column or whatever. And it required some human discipline to sort of realize this is an open loop. Uh, here's where it's at conversationally. Let's decide what the next state is. But if there were a little more structure around that, so you could see like, what threads are there that are awaiting discussion that maybe even have me tagged in them Yep, is really interesting. If I'm a say a manager type or someone someone who's just like doing team lead type of responsibilities there's always a lot of things coming in my direction of like at least we want your guidance on this or we want your thumbs up or thumbs down on this and i found when i was sort of in that that in between state of maker manager where i was still like participating heavily in in actual projects going on and i was providing leadership and helping unblock people it was just a crazy fire hose of at mentions of my name. And if I just like search through all of those, there's way too many. And that's where the pull request review feature really helped in, in GitHub where someone could specifically tag me as requested review. And I that's in a queue, I can go look at it. That kind of thing would help tremendously for a conversation. If I'm subscribed to, you know, 100 open conversations at the time, and maybe two of them proactively are awaiting my response, someone should be able to tag that as we're awaiting Derek's response here. I really like that. That's interesting. Like it's I feel like it's making a conversation a first-class thing. It's giving it a little bit more structure and support and recognition, where it's like conversations don't seem to have that kind of... They're not treated as as important or haven't enough... I don't know. That, that's really interesting. I dig yeah. that. The trick here will be making the user experience not feel heavy, because I think that's... You could swing too far in one direction where it's like, Every time you start a conversation, it feels like I'm filing a ticket and there's all this metadata fields to populate. So I think it needs to have a very like smooth on-ramp where it literally just starts out as a text box with saying defaults on it. And then as the conversation carries on, if, it, if this turns into an important conversation, then we can start like 
start tagging people for requested follow-up or start maybe attach a due date to it or something. But by default, it should be as lightweight, almost as lightweight as a Slack message. Um, Yep. That was my first thought as well. Or one of my responses is like, not every conversation will need that much ceremony. Right. So one of the interesting things that came up, several people have talked about trialing um, Twist, the the, um, Slack alternative from uh, the makers of Todoist. And Twist feels very much to me like like a better email. It looks a lot like an email inbox. It seems to be structured very similarly to email. I've heard several times like it just feels a little too heavy. Even requiring a subject line feels like too much. There's something to be said for like those little tiny micro details that just suggest that this requires a bit more formality or something and pushes too far towards the email direction that causes people to just not not feel as comfortable using it. I mean, that is the thing about a chat box is like everyone gets it. Everyone understands how it works. It's very low ceremony. It's just add your thing to the stream. Yep. That's interesting. One of the problems with chat is that it's too easy for people to just fire things off, probably like without a lot of thought and put things in the wrong place. I mean, because chat doesn't have much structure. It's just channels. Well, as I think through the models of chat, which is everything in an infinite timeline in streams, and then email, which is everything comes with a subject line and a body and sits in an inbox, there's sort of an in-between, which is a little bit more like a Facebook feed, I guess, where you can post a message and it doesn't doesn't really carry a subject necessarily, although you could like put like a one-liner at the top that is the subject, you know, and then you can attach things to it and you can provide other metadata, I guess. But really, it's just a a post in a timeline that then can be replied to and spun off into a conversation. So I think that's kind of the direction I'm leaning is is like, there's only so many ways you can structure these messages. It's either, you know, subject and body or just body or a very small message in an infinite timeline, I think is kind of the three ways to bucket it. Um, Interesting. How does this contrast to the stuff you're doing right now feels very explorative? And it seems like you're you're not settled on a direction exactly. You've pinpointed some problems and you are exploring the solution space, it feels like to me. How does this compare to the early days of Drip? Does it feel similar or, or not? This feels a little bit different. Like I think we built basically the first version of Drip by hand with, with JavaScript and uh, MailChimp and wired up the whole thing. And we knew exactly the use case and that it was super cumbersome with the existing tool set. So it was a little bit different in that we used sort of that initial cobbled together version as our V1. And just there was a lot of work involved in just kind of implementing campaign functionality and opt-in functionality. So that was effectively our our minimum viable product that we put out there. And then it was it was all about like getting that feedback loop established with with beta users and early access users to figure out how else to extend the product. So it started with like a kernel of something known. My kernel of what I know here is a lot about the problems, but like how, how the exact solution should look is less clear to me, um, mm-hmm. I think. I think that's the main yeah. difference. Gotcha. I, I think you're right in that the the tiniest interface details are going to matter a lot here because it's, it's something where you're you're sort of seeking specific behavior from people and the little nudges that you give them, I think are going to have a big impact yeah and i think that's evidenced by like you think about hip chat versus slack and i i'll admit i haven't really used hip chat much at all i've only kind of seen pictures of how it works but like 
I understand it's quite similar to Slack, um, but I think there's just some very small nuances that make Slack feel friendlier and nicer to use. And that seems to be enough for it to like take off in a big way compared to compared to the momentum that HipChat had. So I think it's all in the details with the, with a product like this. Totally. Well, I think you're well positioned for that because you seem to, you get the details. I think you have good taste. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> But now this has been a good it's a good good phase to validate that my taste aligns with uh with what other people are wanting, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're twenty seven conversations in. Are you still finding each marginal conversation valuable? Yeah, I think the value is coming from like I'm not hearing a lot of new things now, but it is kind of reinforcing patterns that I'm that I'm hearing. So like if some if I talk to five more people tomorrow and all of them cite, you know, the false sense of urgency as a number one problem, that's only going to make me feel more confident about it. So it's just like getting more data points to to add on to the the patterns I'm seeing is the value. And also like I'm really enjoying developing personal connections with people who are interested in the mission. You know, I think there's a lot of value in in getting your super fans on board and feeling like like they're being heard and just like I'm an open book and I'm, you know, always open to talking to people and I think that's only going to serve me well as I try to promote this and and I'm going I can't do it alone. You know, I'm going to need need people's help to champion the cause along with me. So, totally. Yeah, I love it. See a lot of value in that. Yeah. I have friendships that I've got started when uh, Chris and I were building briefs and manually onboarding everybody. I have a friend that we st- I still have a call with like every so often just to chat and catch up with the, who was just one of the early briefs customers. And we hit it off and it's like, yeah, this guy's awesome. Let's let's keep talking. Yeah, it's funny. Like the same same thing happened with Drip where, you know, it was a lot of people from the, sort of the circles of people that Rob and I know and people go to microconf and stuff like that. But then there are others who kind of just emerged as an early user. And to this day, we still like know them by name and and remember like oh yeah remember joe like his you know setting up his account back in 2014 um yeah and do you I, remember their user ids from yeah, them on the console? a lot of them i do user number 21 <laughs> awesome. i know who that is <laughs> um That's awesome yeah and like i've who's, had who's id number one in drip by the way um i actually think it's ruben gomez of bid sketch interesting yeah oh, that's that's quite an honor yeah i know and you'll you'll hear um, actually if you listen to the Startup Stories podcast that the Rob and I recorded weekly and then edited down into a few hours uh, one single episode. I think we talk about like attempting to onboard Ruben, and it was sort of a false start initially because he realized uh, once we started getting into it that like we didn't have all the functionality he needed to fully get off Mailchimp. So that's like a key part of that story, which is kind of fun. Totally, yeah. People should listen to that. I remember enjoying that. Uh, yeah, that little thing. I think I'm going to re-listen to it again myself, actually, because now some of the details are fading a little bit, and I now that I'm back in this phase. I kind of want to like hear, um, you know, what was it like back then too. Definitely, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So, uh, what's next for you? Well, one thing I did this week, which I feel quite accomplished with, is uh, published a blog post and sort of officially kicking off what I'm calling the building level series. And this one, I kind of dove deep on the idea validation methodology and how I managed to drum up the 500 subscribers that I have using a manifesto. So I sort of provide my insights behind that and what I was thinking and what the strategy was and some of the numbers. And uh, my plan is to continue doing that. I think it ended up taking me more time than I expected to write that post because my time was sort sort of broken up a bit. And then afternoons, I wasn't really productive at all because 
the calls were spaced out just enough such that I couldn't really get into flow. <laughs> Fortunately, that is that is beginning to ramp down. I think I think next week I just have at most two calls a day. That is starting to lighten up a bit. And I think my next building level post that I've already started to write is about the tech stack and talk about the prototype I've been building and the technologies I've been vetting and why I'm using this approach instead of just like pulling off the shelf existing technologies that I'm comfortable with. And then I want to dive into each one and talk about like sort of the so far what I've gathered about about how they work. Sounds awesome. Yeah. I'd read that post. Cool. Good. <laughs> I emailed it to the list. I asked folks to like email me and let me know if they found it interesting. You know, I don't want to, again, I want to be providing the kind of stuff that, that people are interested in. But so far on the calls, everyone has expressed obviously a willingness to talk anytime. And, and a lot of folks have said they love hearing about it on the podcast and, and on Twitter and stuff. So I think, I think this is the kind of stuff people want to hear. So I, I want to, you know, keep doing that. Cool. Yeah. It's nice to have a podcast when you're launching stuff. It is. Yeah, it's very nice. I found a lot of podcast listeners in the interviewees. Glad to hear it. Yeah. So I have two sort of open questions that I jotted down right before we jumped on this call. So one of them is I want to strategize a little bit with you on the best approach to getting teams to try level, um, because one of the things that's been coming out in conversations is that I think I think there is going to be a pretty high barrier to getting a lot of teams to fully switch off of Slack. The biggest one, the biggest barrier is probably their integrations. Some people have written custom code to push stuff into Slack and some things just kind of they've fine-tuned over time and allocating the actual time, maybe engineers time to get that stuff switched over to a new platform is probably going to be a big ask for a lot of folks. So one of the things I'm thinking about is potentially trying to trying to market this as something to try alongside Slack first. I sort of don't want people to think of this as a complement to Slack. I want it to be ultimately a replacement for Slack, but I don't know. What do you what do you think? That was the first thing that popped in my head. Okay. That was exactly what I thought. It was like, well, don't try to unseat Slack at first. Think of this as the sort of narrow piece of the wedge or figure out what that is. Figure out what the smallest thing that people could use it for and have a great experience that gets them to want to use it a little bit more. If you make it good enough, then you should hopefully see Slack abandonment as a natural side effect. Um, But yeah, trying to go after Slack directly, companies adopt Slack as a group now, or or they effectively have. Like I haven't used Slack anywhere where there wasn't everyone on Slack. And so you're going to have this like expectation from other teams that you are still available via this chat tool. So to say like, oh, yeah, by the way, engineering is not on Slack anymore. It would be a Mm non-starter, at least Mm -hmm. in the early days. Yeah. And so I wonder, like, I think one of the first pieces I want to try to think through is the the first run experience of signing up for level, maybe even all the way down to like, what does the funnel look like to get them to click the button to start a trial of level? And, you know, I wonder if it's like part of that process is like, okay, so if you're starting to use this for your engineering team, say, then... Like, here are some suggestions on how to tweak your Slack settings so that you're not being interrupted all the time. I don't know, just like some some way to educate people or just nudge them in a direction of, I want them to feel less distracted when using Level. And if they still have all their Slack notifications on, that that may not be fully evident for them, I guess. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. So. You're hopefully at least helping them within the team using Level. Yeah. Right? 
Mm-hmm. Like if, if engineers mostly communicate amongst each other. Right. And, and they're trying this out. That should help with that. That's true. It should cut down a lot, actually, because most of the time engineers are talking to their colleagues in their team. So that's that's a good point. And so hopefully what you see is people try it out and they're like, oh, this is better. I am less distracted. I feel like I'm in flow state more of the day and I have less anxiety around this communication tool. Man, I wish everyone else were just using this too. And then maybe you can say, well, hey, we have to work with marketing on this next project. Maybe let's invite them too. And then we're, we'll use this for communication about this project. Yep. It's fun to think about onboarding and think about... I always go back to the first time I, I signed up for Stripe. And it was like, you literally clicked one button and it was like, okay, you're, you're in your Stripe account. Like, use, hit this URL to like charge someone or like drop this JavaScript on your page and boom, now you have a credit card form. I don't even know if you had to enter an email address. Certainly not a password or a name or any of that stuff. And that was always, always felt so magical. People have talked a lot about sort of like the process of getting people like logged in and signed into Slack, if you're not using single sign-on, I think can be a bit like cumbersome. And so I'm trying to think through like, what's the easiest way, easiest path to get someone to like, you click a button and whoops, you're already in level. Now you might as well try it out. And oh, by the way, if you want your colleague to be in here, just shoot them this link. And as soon as they hit that link, they're in there with you and you two can communicate with each other. You know, I'm like trying to make this, the barriers extremely low so that like, you could actually just like trip and fall into level and now you're like, whoops, well, I guess I might as well try it out because I'm, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> sure. One thing that just popped in my head was, are, are you familiar with uh, Clearbit's Reveal product? Um, I think so, but remind me what, what it, what it it's, is. Um, it looks at people's IP addresses yes. and it tends to match them to a company. Yeah. I've been targeted by that before and I was like, how did they know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, it's, it's one thing to say, like, click right here, and then you do, and you're like, wow, I'm in, I'm in level. This is interesting. But if it said, like, up at the top left, like, your company, and it had some sort of, a little bit of customization, like, oh, the header is our color, or, or our logo's over there, or whatever, that's like, wow, now I'm actually really, it feels like I'm actually using an instance of this thing that we signed up for. Yeah, that's a good idea. My second question, so I'm, I'm pretty confident now that I want to build this product as an open source product with a commercially hosted version obviously to to generate revenue my question is like what do you think is the best time to start developing this out in the open should i one just like start from day one or should i get it to a point where it's like something usable and then like say okay here open source world here's a thing i bet you can guess what my answer will be (laughs) i I think i already know (laughs) yeah so you and i have plans to uh, pair a little bit on level after this and my plan was to pitch you on recording that session. Yeah. <laughs> I was sort of thinking the same thing, actually. I think we're on the same wavelength. I don't really think you can start too early. I think it's more exciting when it's early, actually. It's not like no one's going to be like, oh, you have a repo with a login screen. I want to use this. Like, it's not, you're not going to be at that point. But people will be like, oh, man, I can follow on this repo and watch how Derek writes this thing. Or like, oh, man, these are the commits that Ben and Derek did together. Like, I can watch them fiddle their way through uh you know the early days of a thing like that's i think people will enjoy that i do too i think that's so last night that's what i was thinking about i was like you know what screw it let's just do it out in the open and then i was thinking about the tech stack post that i'm composing and it's like it would be awesome to outline the tools all the tooling i'm using and it does it did take me a little while the first time i set it all up to get like elm in a phoenix repository with graphql set up and like the two talking to each other like there was there was a bit of like thought process involved with how to how to like pass authentication tokens and stuff like that I was like wouldn't it be cool if i could build up 
kind of the foundations of that and then say like here's perhaps a separate repository or maybe just like tag a commit in the level repository and say like here's my like fresh working phoenix app with elm in it with graphql and they're all like everything's talking to each other so feel free to use this as a jumping off point you know if you want to play around with this stack totally yeah i mean given that your initial niche is developers yeah i don't think you can start abusing your status as developer too soon (laughs) yeah it's like you can make bait that other people can't make right which is like want to watch this pair on a thing or want to see this interesting tech stack or want to see a commit where i whatever discovered a bug like that stuff i think is, is part of your advantage right now yeah totally cool well that's good thanks for appreciate your validation on that <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah definitely i just have a quick update yeah uh which is i actually decided not to speak at microconf this year oh did you okay I talked about it with a bunch of people. And by the way, having a little like pseudo board of directors to talk to <laughs> is maybe the best thing ever. Yeah. I have a few people in my like core circle who I respect a lot and trust a lot. Um, and you're one of them, but there are others. And I like to float like bigger decisions by people. And it's just so nice to be able to get some perspective there. But my, my overall takeaway was just kind of like my, my gut tells me to not do it this year. I think the best question I got asked was like, I'm confident you will do a good job of this. You're definitely capable of doing it. But is this the thing you want to focus on for the next month or so? Like, do you want to spend the time on this particular thing? And uh, the answer to me was like, actually, not quite right now. I feel like there are other things I want to resolve and make progress on and think about that are a little bit higher priority. And I've been thinking a lot about this sort of like aphorism, which is saying no to something is saying no to one thing. Saying yes to something is saying no to everything else. And I've heard that a million times, but it's really been feeling... I've been feeling it more viscerally lately. And like noticing when I'm like, oh, yeah, because I agreed to have coffee with this person this day, like nothing else is going to happen this morning. It seemed like a, a harmless coffee invitation in my in- inbox a couple of weeks ago. But now I'm realizing like it's that's like nothing else will happen during this time. And so I'm trying to be a little bit more aware of that. And speaking at MicroConf is great and I think would have some positive things. And it, it's hard to turn down that like it, it was such an honor to be asked again. But it just, I could just kind of feel it in my body. I was like, I shouldn't do it. Like, hopefully, I would love to get asked again. I would love to do it when I have a burning idea for a thing that I think would make a great talk, as opposed to feeling like I need to extract a great talk out of something. I declined and honestly felt like pretty good about it. I was like, I think that was, I feel, I feel solid about that decision. That's good. I think, I mean, there's something to be said for trusting your gut. And it seemed like even last time when we talked, like I could figure out ways to just help you justify doing it. But it seemed like your gut instinct was like, I don't think this is the right time. And then I totally resonate with the uh, saying yes, (laughs) implicitly says no to a lot of things because I've, I mean, that's what I've been experiencing with all these calls I'm doing. And I definitely feel like they're high value, but I know I can see the the time penalty that I'm paying to to do them and all the other things that I'm not getting done that, you know, I could be if I weren't doing these calls. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I had like a, a quick tinge of, of uh, FOMO or something the other day. But that other, other than that, I've been feeling pretty good about that decision. It's like, yeah, I think I'm making slightly more mature decisions in a certain way where like I feel like really understanding that like yes versus no thing is has been helping me a lot on a, on a couple different fronts. And so I want to keep keep that in mind. It feels like a really useful thing to just have top of mind. Yeah. And I, th- and I think like as you get further into your career and you get more, you know, more people know who you are, you have more interesting things to share with the world. Like the world's going to want to continue to ask of you to you know, use your time for a lot of different things. And I think so like 
early days, like there's a lot of value in saying yes to everything, every opportunity that comes your way. But at a certain point, you have to start then like saying no to more and more things. And I think that only continues to progress that way. Yep. There's another Derek that has a great post on this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Derek Sivers has yes. a post. I think it's called like, fuck yes or no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something like that. Yeah. Or hell yes, I don't know. Some, some sort of thing. I did not invent this idea by any means. People might want to read that if they want to see a little bit more on that. But so now the open question to me is actually, should I still go to MicroConf? So I bought a ticket for growth uh, a while ago because I was like, hey, I'm working on my own full-time thing. My business is supporting me. I, I'm a growth person. And now it's like, well, I'm working on a business that supports 20 people full-time, but in a different way than I was before. There are a lot of people I want to see. I'm actually not even sure I, I'm going to attend. It feels like not attending might be the wrong choice, going, going back to my gut. We'll see. Yeah. I could see either way. I mean, there's there's a cost to it, like time, travel, all that kind of stuff. So I don't think it's a straightforward answer. I mean, for me, I'm not going to get a lot of like direct value out of growth from the talks probably because I'm not like in a growth phase. But it's like, I don't know, those are kind of the people I've seen every year for the last five years. I kind of want to see them all again. So I'm sort of in a similar predicament where it's like uh, starter would probably be ideal, which is why I'm going to I think I'm going to stick around for starter this year. But gotcha. um, so you're going to go to both. I think so. Yeah. That sounds legit. I think if I were where you are, I would probably want to do both. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to keep thinking about it. I, cool. Yeah. I'll try. I'll make a decision soon. Yeah. Because I have to book things, but we'll see. I'm leaning towards attending starter, actually. Okay. Assu- assuming I could finagle my way into a starter, like swapping my growth ticket for a starter ticket. Ah, I'm sure they could hook you but up. Yeah. I know some people yeah. involved, so <laughs> I figure I could probably make that happen. Probably. Uh, so yeah. Cool. Uh, 35 minutes. That's a good podcast. Yeah. Let's wrap it. Maybe we should get on to some pairing. That sounds good. Cool. Where can people find the show notes for this episode? People can find the show notes at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Do you want to just get to pairing? Yeah. I have a quick... All right. All right. No postlude for you. No postlude. I'm hitting the postlude will be maybe I convinced Eric to record this (laughs) pairing session and you get to listen to it at a later date. Yes. Cool. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.